0: This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by REI Co-op. They want to make the outdoors the largest level playing field on Earth. They're kicking off more than a thousand new classes and events designed just for women. They're also launching a series of all women's adventure travel programs. The ladies want it, and we're going to give them what they want. Jen Skubicki has been guiding with REI for four years. She leads trips through Utah, Yosemite, the
1: Grand Canyon... I think of like when I looked into Grand Canyon for the first time, I just remember being so absolutely awed, and to see that in my guests eyes when they get all sparkly eyed and they have no words, it's just, I mean it brings me back to my first time. I have still never been to the Grand Canyon and I
0: have like a deep American guilt about it.
2: Oh my god, I'd love to take you.
0: (laughs) Okay, so if you also feel guilty about never having been to the Grand Canyon, or maybe you want to hike across New Zealand or bike through South Africa with a group of awesome women, here's your chance. Check out those all-women's trips and more at rei.com slash force From
2: Outside Magazine and PRX, these are dispatches. Stories from our writers in the field. If it seems impossible, Rebecca Rush has probably tried it before. She once riverboarded the Grand Canyon. Think boogie boarding, but down incredibly big technical rapids. And she once completed the first female ascent of a route on El Capitan in Yosemite. She also won the Leadville 100 mountain bike race four times in a row which earned her the moniker, Queen of Pain.
1: It is your women's champion, Rebecca Rush,
0: from Ketchum, Idaho! Welcome back, Rebecca!
1: The things that happen when you push past that threshold of your brain, saying, this hurts, I don't want to do it anymore, that's when the real magic and the gifts come.
2: But today, we're actually talking about a completely different kind of pain. Which has also been at the center of Rebecca's life. Her father, Stephen Rush, disappeared when she was just three years old. He was in the Air Force during the Vietnam War, and in 1972, his plane went down over Laos. Four decades later, Rebecca decided she had to find out what happened to him and went to Southeast Asia, planning to mountain bike to his crash site. It was all captured in the documentary, Blood Road. X Factor host Florence Williams caught up with Rebecca at the Mountain Film Festival in Telluride to talk about it. You'll hear some tape from that documentary, but the whole thing is worth watching if you get a chance. Here's Rebecca.
1: For most of my childhood, I didn't know if my dad was dead or alive or a prisoner of war. Um, And I I had questions about that. I had nightmares about it. Um, Yeah, what was it like living with that uncertainty? It was sort of one of those things that was kind of shoved shoved in the back. You know, people didn't really talk a lot about it. And as a kid, you know, how do you ask your mom, oh, tell me about, you know, when the Air Force drove up in the black sedan and got out to tell you the news. Like, you don't ask those things as a kid. It just doesn't feel right. I mean, my family would talk about them. They'd tell me about them and tell stories, especially my grandparents. But as a kid, it was, It was almost like, um, because I don't remember him and I don't have memories, it was almost like reading about someone in a history book, and I didn't feel a personal connection. You know, I knew he was my dad, but he was a stranger to me. And yet his personality,
0: kind of who he was, was part of the culture of your family.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he, from what I know, you know, he's a musician. uh, uh, he, He loved cars. He, you know, he loved animals, and I'd hear all these great stories of my grandmother and Um, I'd spend time in the house where he grew up and, you know, look through his things and look through photo albums and there was always this curiosity of like, wow, he sounded like a really cool guy and, um, you know, it isn't really until recently that I started digging in a little more and trying to find more and I think because I wasn't ready, I wasn't mature enough to really understand how to get to know somebody who isn't alive. Growing
0: up in the 70s and 80s, Rebecca put thoughts of her dad aside and dove into sports. She became a world-class extreme athlete. But in the early 2000s, Rebecca says those lingering questions about what had happened to her dad began to resurface. So at some point you decided that there was still a central mystery around your father and you wanted to solve it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I went to Vietnam for an adventure race, and that was 2003. And you know, we're in the middle of the jungle suffering from heat rash. And that was the first time I really kind of the question really came up. What was it like for him? And what did he go through? And that was where I really got, one, intrigued about the history. I mean, the Vietnam War is such a complex history, but also what did he go through? And and at this point, 2003, we didn't know yet. They hadn't found his remains. So at that point, there was still this question, like, is he, is he here somewhere? Is there a part of him? It was around that
0: same time that human remains were discovered at the site where Rebecca's father's plane was thought to have gone down. And in 2007, they were identified as belonging to Stephen Rush. Almost immediately, Rebecca began to think about a new kind of expedition. It would be a pilgrimage of sorts to her father's crash site. But it would also be an expedition in her own style. It would involve a lot of mountain biking. In fact, mountain biking the entire length of the 1,200-mile Ho Chi Minh Trail. It was known during the war as Blood Road. Explain what your vision
1: was for this expedition. Well, there's always part of me, just like that little kid in my backyard that wants to see and know and see what's around the next corner. And as far as I know, no one's ridden the entire length of the Ho Chi Minh Trail. So there, there's an explorer in me that wanted to see if it could be done. But then combining it with, well, I wonder if I can find the place. and The place. The place where he was shot down. And, you know, by the time I f- was forming this expedition, we knew that he had died in the plane crash. and. I can't exactly articulate why, but I just felt like I wanted to go there. And I didn't wanna just go there in a plane and in a car. And you know, I wanted to go there in my way and really spend a long expedition and immerse in the place and the culture and see what it's like there. And to allow me all those miles to strip away my defense layers again. And to really open myself up to whatever might happen there. At the heart of Rebecca's quest
0: was a series of unanswered questions. Could she even find the crash site in the jungle 44 years later? Would there be signs of her father? And would she be able to connect to some larger truths about him and this painful, seemingly pointless war?
2: Regardless of any opinions I have about this war or any other, it is hard to think about the killing that I will be doing.
0: Rebecca had a few clues about her father. She had the letters, like this one, that he wrote.
2: If anything should happen to me, please don't let me die to Sharon and Becky."
0: She had his dog tags, and she had the rough GPS coordinates of his crash site in Laos. It was just off one section of
1: the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Most of the Ho Chi Minh Trail lies in Laos and Cambodia. They moved it over there, the Vietnamese moved it over there to hide it from the Americans and to, you know, camouflage it in the jungle. It's a complicated,
0: braided network of single tracks, double tracks, rickety wooden bridges, and sometimes impenetrable jungle. And Rebecca knew she'd need help finding her way through it. So she assembled a small support crew, including a navigation specialist familiar with the terrain. She also signed on a partner for the ride, a Vietnamese mountain biking champion named Hugh N. (laughs)
2: Hi, Rebecca. Ciao. Oh, I've long.
1: QN uh, rode with me. She's a Vietnamese cyclist. She's, um, and she is an unlikely partner. Initially, my thought was that I would plan this expedition and take one of my adventure racing teammates or take somebody that I knew very, very well. My Vietnamese sucks, so your English is better. But, um, you know, we really talked about it creatively with Red Bull Media House and decided that if I rode with somebody from the area, um, I was just gonna learn so much more and see see the experience through, not through American eyes, but through someone else's eyes, and she, you know, we didn't, we were strangers when we started, and, you know, we became sisters in the end.
0: Sisters, just one generation removed from an extremely bloody conflict. Huyen, it turned out, had a deep family history with this war, too, and it wasn't one that Rebecca necessarily expected. And at what point did you realize that her father and your father were on opposite sides?
1: Um, the first couple days on the trail, we're chatting and talking, and she was telling me about her father um, cleaning up bodies off the street during the war at that time in 1972, which is exactly the year my dad was shot down. And so yeah, it became uncovered really quickly. And, and she sa- said the same, you know, seeing pictures of my father, I showed her a picture of my dad and, you know, she admitted that they didn't think of the American soldiers as people, you know, they were, they were just bombs coming from the sky. And so for her to make that, for both of us to make that personal connection, you know, it's only two women riding mountain bikes together, but, you know, that's part of the healing of two cultures. And and her father welcomed you into his home. He did. They, everyone welcomed us so with such open arms, and I was a little bit nervous about that, how we would be received. But we were never received with any sort of animosity, and I was I was really surprised, and I it made me realize, you know, they've done a better job at forgiving and and healing, I think, than than perhaps some of the Americans have.
0: In late February, the two women set out from Hanoi, and for two weeks, they headed south on the trail, riding between 50 and 70 miles a day through what was sometimes
1: rough jungle terrain. The jungle's really noisy um, with insects. <laughs> I mean, the animals and the noises, I mean, you you would stop, and you just hear this buzzing in your ears. It's, it's almost like the way I feel when I'm in New York City, and there's just this ambient noise that's super loud. So the jungle's like that, but it's a zzzzzz, um, but it was very remote. We were definitely in areas that had not seen a tourist.
0: Rebecca, Huen, and the team were headed toward the small Laotian village of Ta'oi. That's near the crash site identified by the U.S. military. And the ride gave Rebecca time and space to prepare for what she might find.
1: The bike is how I think, and going long distances many hours alone in my head that's that's how i process the best Um, so there were times where you know i was distracting myself from thinking about where we're actually going but then there were other long moments on the trail where i'd hear my dad's dog tag jingle and it's almost like him saying hey what are you thinking about you know and so I spent a lot of hours thinking about him and why I was there and you know the path that my life has taken to, to bring me t- to this ride. And I needed all that time to, to be ready to, to try to arrive at the spot. What did you think you would find there? I had no idea what I would find. I, the only thing I knew, the only thing that was familiar was that I was going to ride my bike for a long time and that I knew I, I could ride 1,200 miles. That was the familiar place for me to hang out in. Right, you've done that. Yeah, I've done that. But the rest I really did have to just bear my soul open and be receptive to what was happening. And I think that's why the distance was so important. It it softened me by the time, you know, we got further down the trail. I was changing along the way and becoming more understanding and more accepting and less about me wanting to go fast and covering this many miles a day and how many hours will it take. Like my racer brain had to, uh, I had to shed my racer brain. <laughs> and it took me <laughs> it took me a while to do that.
0: I think at one point in the film, you mentioned that um uh, really helped you slow down. Yeah. Um, in what way?
1: I was looking down the trail, you know, getting to the next point in front of me where Huyen is looking out and explaining to me how they harvest rice and this and that and how water buffaloes and the birds live on the back of the water buffaloes (laughs) and it's a symbiotic relationship and at first it it was distracting to me it was like yeah yeah that's great okay we got to keep going we have to make up. yeah but and I really appreciated that she was doing that because it was slowly she was helping me shed you know just the mindset of going fast and having blinders on. And instead of just looking straight forward, you know, the peripheral vision was starting to open up, you know, just much, became much more global and much less self centered. As you were getting closer and closer, what was going through your mind? A couple of days out from the crash site, you know, I had been very, very anxious, very anxious trying to get there. But then about a day, or two out, I started to feel this sense of calm, and you know, that I knew we were gonna make it there. Just really feeling like I was getting close to my dad. There was just, I, it, I can't really articulate it very well, but there was a sense of calm, and it's gonna be okay, and you know, you're doing okay, Rebecca. Like, it's like, he was just like, all right, you're here, you're here already. Finally,
0: 12 days and 512 and 12 miles later, they arrived at Taoy. There, Rebecca met the village chief, a man named Mr. Air. Uh, this, uh, Mr. Eyre. Uh, Did he seem
1: surprised he to see you? no. We'd met so many friendly people along the way, and I didn't know I didn't know his story. We I just knew he was the village chief and we had to meet with him. You know, we'd done this in every village as we'd gone along the way. Meet with the village chief and but when I rolled up and I saw this man's face, and I didn't know who he was or any connection with my dad, there, our eyes just locked in this way, and there was something in his face that was so kind. And when I looked in his eyes, I could tell there was some, some connection that we had. It turns out this
0: village chief was the son of the very man who owned the land where Stephen's plane crashed in 1972. It was the father who'd found Stephen's body, along with the pilot's. It's a story well-known in the village. Here's her translator explaining it in the film. After the plane drop, two Vietnamese soldiers, one uh, head of the village. At that time, his mother go to check and see the, the dead person, and they put it under the tree.
1: His father buried my father.
0: Yeah, his father.
1: And the tree is still there? The exact tree? <laughs> oh
0: still still over there. You he he will show you at the tree. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Eyre took Rebecca and the film crew to the site. They could still see the glide path that the plane had dug through the dirt when it crashed and small pieces of metal were still in the ground. And then the tree, a gnarled, strange, beautiful tree. In the documentary, there's this heartbreaking moment where Rebecca looks at that tree, almost like she's waiting for her dad to emerge from it. And then she places his missing an action bracelet in the tree's hollow and reads aloud from a letter she wrote to him.
1: This journey down the Ho Chi Minh Trail has brought me here to meet you and stand in the place where you died, where you died for me and your country. You've spoken to me through your songs, your letters, and the way you lived your life. You've given me the gift of life and the tools to live mine with compassion, joy, and curiosity. I know now that this this is not an ending but a beginning, the beginning of our relationship. I miss you, Dad, but now I know you'll always be with me. Love, Rebecca. There was one more thing Rebecca brought from home. I had this little stuffed frog named Grimace, and I used to always sleep with Grimace on my chest. It was like a beanbag frog. and it, he was like comfort for me and I went there in my 40s and I had kept this stuffed animal my whole life moving living out of my car I still had grimace um and but I felt like I wanted to leave him there it really it wasn't a sad occasion I mean you it was actually really a great celebration and I felt a connection a lot of people talk about death or a funeral and they say oh it must be closure for you. You must have found closure. And it's exactly the opposite of that for me is I felt an opening and a discovery and getting to know someone and not a closing at all. You felt lighter. I felt euphoric. I felt like I, you know, I'd achieved the most important ride of my life. And I still had the, the... the secondary goal, which was to ride the entire Ho Chi Minh Trail. So this, the second part of it really was then me just being an athlete and getting to just, you know, go faster and cover some more miles and with, without a heavy burden, with a very much lightened backpack.
0: <laughs> Rebecca and Huynh spent another two weeks riding the rest of the Ho Chi Minh Trail all the way to Ho Chi Minh City. And although Rebecca had found some peace around her father's death, something new was unsettling her. You know, this started out being about sort of your family's devastation, you know, what had happened to your family after your father died. And yet you saw all this other devastation during the trip. Tell me about what you saw.
1: Yeah, I I felt... The trip did start to be about me and my father, and it ended up becoming a global story for me to see, yes, we suffered, my family suffered every, you know, every veteran's family sacrifices, but then to spend time in the villages where they're still living among bomb craters or still living among unexploded ordnance from 45 years ago a war that ended 45 years ago is still killing people and you saw those bombs with your own eyes you're you're standing there you're looking at it it's it's very evident in daily life um and those bombs are still killing people there are there there's the estimate is that it'll take at the current rate of cleanup it will take another hundred years um to actually clear laos alone from the the unexploded ordnance from the vietnam war Wow. So as an American, seeing those American bombs that are still so deadly, what was that like? I felt guilty. Um, I felt, you know, how did we leave our trash? Why didn't we clean up after ourselves? How do how do we do this? And so at first I felt really badly. Um, but then my next emotion was, well, what can I do? How can I help? And that's been one of the biggest gifts from this journey, is I feel that my dad has given me inheritance. He's given me instructions. Of, I brought you here so that you can help clean up. So it was like your father left you this legacy. He did. I honestly believe that, it, yeah, it's his inheritance, his instructions to me. It's you know him teaching me and fathering me, even even though he's gone.
0: This month, Rebecca's going back to Laos with a team that's removing unexploded ordnance left over from the war. And she'll also fundraise to support those efforts by selling locally crafted jewelry made out of scrap metal from the bombs.
2: That's Florence Williams with Rebecca Rush. This piece was produced by Phoebe Flanagan.
1: And this is another one you can sing along to. Everyone we sang for seemed like a little bit at least.
2: For more information on mine removal in Vietnam and Laos and other conflict zones, check out the Mines Advisory Group at maginternational.org. You heard clips from the documentary Blood Road, which was produced by Red Bull Media House. This music is actually Stephen Rush, Rebecca's father. Can't help but wonder where I'm bound, where I'm bound. This is the last episode in the Double X Factor series, although we will still be doing stories about women and by women. Thanks to REI for making this entire series possible and for offering women-specific trips and classes and gear. Find out everything you need to know at rei.com forceofnature. The Outside Podcast is a production of PRX and Outside Magazine. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode.